Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. I've got a question for you, which is going to be connected in some way to the sermon. Who in this room really likes their given name? Put your hand up if you really like your given name. Have a look, have a look around. Have a look around. All right. Okay. That's, that's good. That's a, that, okay. Who really doesn't like their given name? One. One. Oh, gosh. Okay. Who's, who's ambivalent? Who's kind of non, nonplussed about their given name? Okay. Most people really like their given name. It's really interesting. Names are an, names are an interesting thing. Listen to, this, listen to this quote. This quote is from a guy called Robert, Robert Raymond who wrote a systematic theology. And in the introduction to talking about God's name, he says, To the Western mind... Very little, if any, significance is attached today to the meaning of a child's given name. The determining factors most often being the parent's personal preference or its phonetic compatibility with the family name. How nice does it sound with the surname? But this was not the case in the ancient Middle East and isn't the case in many cultures today. A given name often commemorated some great historical or religious event or denoted the parent's hope for or assessment of a child's character. God, in his revelation in scripture, progressively selected titles and names reflecting aspects of his divine character. I'll read that last sentence again. God, in his revelation in scripture, progressively selected titles and names reflecting aspects of his divine character. We're going to be thinking about one of the particular names of God over, this, over these following, um, following weeks. Answer to anything except Anna. And when my sister decides something, it's pretty much settled. She's a, she's a force of nature. So, so she's been Anna ever since. She never changed her name legally. But she, she, she's not anti. Everyone knows her as Anna. Only a handful of us that were around for those first three or four years of her life know her real name. And every now and then, people, will, people, it might come up in conversation. People go, "Your name's what?" She just decided, "No, I don't want to be known by that. I want to be known by that." Uh, I don't know what the what the what the what the reasoning was. She probably can't remember herself. Um, but she didn't like Antonia. Didn't like it. Funny, isn't it? Names. Some of us in the room have names, you are named, and it's not because your parents liked the sound of the name or it went well with your surname from a phonetic perspective. Your name is, your, your parents prayed long and hard about your name, invested time in prayer and, and then named you in a way that they felt in some way was led by God. Or maybe if they um, weren't necessarily uh, religious, spiritual, Christian, Maybe nevertheless, they still named you with something that felt very, very meaningful. Names matter. Most people know me as Steph. My full name is Stefan. When I was growing up, when I was in trouble, it was Stefan. So therefore, I preferred Steph. Now I've realized that before most people meet me and hear my name, they think I'm a woman. Okay. Therefore, now most of the time when I'm introducing myself to people over email or whatever, I say, hi, my name's Stefan. You see, these are names, but I always preferred Steph because if anyone said Stefan, I would immediately jolt. Oh no, I'm in trouble. 
Names, the way we use them, the shortening of names, the lengthening of names, nicknames, these things matter. Jesus gave some of his disciples nicknames, didn't he? James and John, the sons of thunder. Something about their temperament, something about what they, what they were inclined to be like. Nicknames, are, nicknames, actually, if you get a nickname somewhere, you often feel that you belong at that point. Just to add an O or a Y on the end of someone's name or an S can give a sense of familiarity that's really nice. You can feel again like, ah, oh, I belong. Names are really interesting things. And here's the thing as well. None of us have named ourselves. How about that? Now, maybe you could argue my sister did. Some of you might have decided I'm going to use my middle name in front of my, but instead of my first name, I know someone in the church has done that. And they've got a wonderful middle name, so I, I, I can see why they did it. But we don't name ourselves. We are named. We are named by others. I want us to just think about this over today particularly. Today is particularly important for that. Um, and then the following weeks, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John, looking at what, what are known as Jesus' I am sayings. A number of times says, I am. And then something follows. Or once or twice, simply, I am. And it means something really, really profound spiritually. And it traces back to today's text, Exodus 3. So let's read the first 15 uh, verses of Exodus chapter 3. At this point, Moses is 80 years old. He spent 40 years growing up in the palace. And then he had to flee Egypt. Then he spent 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, Midian. And then at the age of 80, this is what happens. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So it's burning, but it's not burning up. It's burning, but it's, the, the, the bush remains intact. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush isn't burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? 
What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage today, inspired by your spirit. We want to engage with faith in the preaching of and listening to your word. And we pray that as we do so, that your spirit would work in the most wonderful ways. Lord, we can't, we, our hearts need softening a thousand times a day. Our minds need constant washing and renewal. We need help. And we call on you today, please help us, Lord, as we dwell, abide, remain in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Tetragram is the name given for a four-letter word. Tetragrammaton, if you were to Google that, refers to this name of God. In ancient Hebrew, there are no vowels. It's only consonants. Okay? So in the ancient Hebrew alphabet, there are no vowels. And uh, there are four letters that make up this, this name of God. What we would be familiar with, letters that are familiar to us, the closest would be Y-H-W-H. Okay? Some, some would uh, say that the, 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 the best way of um, communicating into, into our way of thinking is instead of the Y, it's the J, instead of the W, a V, which is why the, the, the terms Yahweh and Jehovah are the same Different pronunciations of the same thing, the tetragrammaton, God's name, here given in Exodus 3, I am. Now, there, there is quite a lot of um, thoughts, ideas, different uh, opinions on uh, where you want to go with this. But there is some general agreement that the basic verb to be is the, is the idea behind the name. So... The, the verb to be when expressed in the first person is I am. Okay, So this idea of I am who I am, I am that I am, or even I will be that I will be. That is the name of God. How unusual is that? Pause for a moment. You might be used to it. You might say, well, why doesn't that name appear very much in the Old Testament? It does. It appears loads. Whenever you see Lord in capitals, that's that. And the reason why it's rendered in that way is because in Leviticus 24, it says you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Some very conservative scribes centuries ago determined that it was inappropriate to mention the name. So if you Google what is God's forbidden name, it's this. It's the name that cannot be mentioned. And so two different words are used instead. Adonai, which means Lord, or Elohim, which means a more generic word for God. And so very often, if you see Lord in uh, capital L and then um, lowercase O-R-D, that would be Adonai. Okay? That, 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 that originally would have been Adonai. If you see Lord in caps, okay, it's, it's Adonai replacing Yahweh. Okay? 
Such is the reverence in which they held the name of God. That's the point. Please hear this. Such is the reverence with which they held the name of God. So whereby Leviticus 24 is probably actually saying, don't blaspheme. They were so afraid of accidentally blaspheming, they decided we, won't, we will just will not utter the name. Now, while that may be a step too far, for us who live in a very irreverent culture, it's a very helpful warning. That if, if we easily fool around with the name, take the name lightly, joke around with the name, it's not good. But it feels so foreign because out the air that we breathe does not understand this kind of reverence. So it, this kind of, sometimes you see these things, you think, oh, that's a bit over the top, but there's something going on there. Don't dismiss it because it looks over the top. But what's going on there? There's a reverence for the name of God. They were so afraid of accidentally blaspheming. This is holy ground that we are on Today, But what's it getting at? What's, why is this God's name? Why does God disclose, reveal, uh, uh, determine, define himself in this, in this way? There are probably two main ideas I'll describe. One is, one is really, really gracious. The other one is too, but it's a bit salty. Okay? So the Bible says, let your, let your conversation be seasoned with, uh, full of grace, seasoned with salt. And... Um, Grace is this idea we heard from Keith earlier. Unmerited favour, the sense of God's abundance, his largesse, his generosity, his unmerited favour to undeserving sinners. But there's, there's a salty element to things as well, which is really, really good. If you lose your saltiness as a Christian, what does Jesus say? You're no good for anything. You're going to be trampled underfoot by people. Why? Because you're basically just going to become nice. The salty element keeps the flavour of the thing, the distinctiveness of the thing, draws out. Yes, it, yes, it's amazing, it's the best, we can party on and celebrate, but it's holy. It's holy, that's what the saltiness is. It, make, it stops us from moving into complacency. It keeps us from falling into strange ideas that don't lead to life and fruitfulness. So we need the grace, but we need the salt. And um, there's, there, there are two main ideas behind this name. I think one is very, very gracious and the other one is really helpfully um, salty. Um, again, Robert Raymond in his systematic theology, he pulls the two together by saying this. He, that's God, named himself he is or he exists, alluding to his self-existence and his faithful presence. His self-existence and his faithful presence. We're going to start with looking at his faithful presence. These are the words of Louis Burkhoff, another systematic theologian. His unchangeableness with regards to his relation to his people. What he was for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he will be for Moses and his people. So God coming to Moses and saying, I am, notice in the passage it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am the same God that 400 years ago faithfully led, provided for, Perform miracles for your father, Abraham, the, the, the father of, of, of your nation, your Hebrew nation, 400 years ago. That was, I am the same God. And so the context of God coming to Moses is, I, 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 I've, I've, I've not gone anywhere. <laughs> I've not, it's been 400 years. Again, this is really important that we hear this stuff today. It's been 400 years. 
And probably the last at least couple of hundred have been full of all kinds of difficulty. But God is saying, I've not gone anywhere. I've not forgotten you. And I've not gone anywhere. I am who I am. I am who I was then. I am him now. And I will be who I will be. It's speaking of his covenantal faithfulness. If you go to Genesis 15, you'll see that God foretells 400 years of affliction. Foretells it to to Abraham. So what you begin to see here in this understanding of God's name, God's faithfulness, is you see God's faithfulness coupled with the need on our part to be able to handle a huge story. Being involved, when you get involved with God, you get involved in a huge story. And it's a huge story that requires enormous and at times multi-generational patience. Which means sometimes you don't see the things you long to see of God's kingdom in your day, but you still serve the purposes of God for the good of the generation and generations to come. To be able to live in that and engage with that shows a, a, a true and mature sense of understanding the faithfulness of God, the unchangeable nature of God and the size of the story of God. This isn't just kind of ideas I'm throwing out here. This is the context in which the story is written. Let's think about epic stories for just a moment. All epic stories have highs and lows. Am I right? Whether it's the lows of faithful Samwise Ganji, cast aside through Gollum's treachery. I mean, that's an awful moment, isn't it? Lord of the Rings, if you haven't seen it, what have you been doing with your life? That moment where Frodo chooses Gollum over Samwise Ganji. I mean, you just want to... Pardon? Spoiler. Spoiler, apparently. Anyway, I'm going to spoil a whole lot more, so just stay with me here. Cover your ears if you want to. It's a low point. Am I right? Frodo. What are you thinking? Just stand the two guys up in front of you, look at them. Who are you going to trust, Samwise or Gollum? (laughs) Literally, exactly. It's a low point. But then we have that moment, don't we? We have that high point. We have that, who remembers the moment where, on the dawn of the fifth day, a luminary Gandalf appears with a host of reinforcements to rescue the Battle of Helm's Deep. Who remembers that? Oh, come on. Yeah. Moving to non-fiction for just a moment. What about the high of the incarnation? We just spent last month belting out carol after carol. The king has come. The prophesied Messiah, he is here. The wonder of it, we revisit every year. The wonder, the glory, we sing our hearts out. The highs of it. The highs of the triumphal entry. They're throwing down their coats and their, their palm leaves, which signify victory at the, before this the, the mule. Why, why mule? This humble king. Everything we could ask for and long for in a leader. Wow, these great highs. And then before we know it, the, 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 the kiss of treachery in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, how could you? How could you? you go, no, this can't be happening. And the, the disciples, helpless, hopeless, fearful, running, scattering. The crown of thorns, the cruel cross. You think, what's going on here? 
Everyone giving up. Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Who's coming? We're going back to... And then the third day and the resurrection, it's the highs and the lows. This is the epic story, folks, that we're involved in. We are not to be surprised if there are highs and lows in our generation during this story. It's all part of the same story. We must not be surprised. In all of this, he is faithful. Amen? In all of this, he is working. In all of this, he is unstoppable. In all of this, he is present. He's present. In all of this, he's able. In all of this, he's good. Please do not be under any illusions. In Exodus 3, God appears to Moses in the context of genocide, in the context of slavery, in the context of oppression, injustice, and idolatry, sighing and weeping. And into the midst of that, he declares, I am that I am. None of those things hinder my faithfulness to you. None of those things. How often things don't turn out right and we begin to question the faithfulness of God. Some, so, there, would have been, there would have been hosts of Israelites in Egypt that weren't living there in the glory days of Joseph's ascendancy and weren't living there in the glory days of the Red Sea being opened up wide and following Moses but occupied that 200 or 300 years in between there of hope, longing, faith, but seeing very little. In all of that, God says, I am that I am. There's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a story being worked out that is far bigger than any of us. And it's so important that we're able to engage with that, not reluctantly, not fatalistically, but in faith. Which means that God has appointed when I was born, where I will live, in order that I might play my part in this great story. And whatever I see and whatever I don't see, me giving myself and sowing myself into this story of God's faithfulness, I will be alongside all of the good and the great in this great celebration at the end. That's the power of living in a story. It's not easy. But it's so much more glorious than the very, very tiny, small story of self, which we're about to look at now, which is the salty element of this name. So point one, God's presence is faithful. Stand firm. We sung it earlier. Hey, stand firm. Remember what Robert Raymond said. He named himself he is or he exists, alluding to his self-existence and faithful presence. Self-existence. Here's what Wayne Grudem says. God's existence and character are determined by himself alone and are not dependent on anyone or anything else. I'll say that again. God's existence and character, so what he's like, are determined by himself alone and are not dependent on anyone or anything else. Again, completely unique. We are born with a certain kind of wiring, but we are shaped and influenced by our circumstances and experiences. Am I right? And it forms our character. It forms, it forms all kinds of responses in us. It forms what kind of person we are. Okay? It's not totally deterministic. There's, God can break in and change, absolutely. And we're born with certain particular traits, yeah, but we are massively influenced by what goes on around us in terms of it forms us. The Bible says... Bad company corrupts good character. 
Okay? Who, you hang around, who you hang around with shapes you. Who you spend time listening to shapes. It shapes who you become. Okay? No one is immune from that. That's reality. God is completely different. His existence and his character are determined by himself alone and are not dependent on anyone or anything else. Now, not only does it mean that he is self-existent and 100% self-determined, but that all other things exist by him and for him. So it means that it's not just that he defines himself, but guess what? He defines his creation and he determines his creation. He says what is and what isn't. He has very strong views. There is a titanic spiritual war taking place. It's around this idea of will we believe and submit to God as he has determined and revealed himself and his definition of all other things, or will we self-determine and out of that place determine what everything else is? We must not be under any illusions. It's titanic. See, the Bible is clear that all things are held together by his powerful word. So in an objective sense, he is determining all things. But from our own personal experience of our hearts, we can submit to that or not. We can align with that, we can roll with that, we can walk with him in that, or we can say, no, I'm going to determine and define life, me, circumstances, through how I see things. And guess what, folks? You can't have it both ways. It's a bit salty. Where are we going to take our cues from? Isn't it fascinating that Western culture, which is explicitly moving away from, in our hearts as a corporate culture, moving away from God's self-determining, self-defining ways. We're moving away from I am that I am in that sense. More and more we're using that phrase to describe another gospel, the gospel of self. Who's seen the latest Virgin Atlantic advertising campaign? You seen that? The air, the air hostess. Is it just me? I'm the only one who watches TV. You're all more spiritual than me over Christmas. Virgin Atlantic have got a new advertising campaign, and, um, and it's this very inspiring tune, and the whole phrase is, I am, I am what I am. And it begins with an air, an air hostess going to put makeup on and then deciding not. And so the kind of narrative there is, I don't have to kind of, I guess, make myself look a certain way According to others' expectations. Maybe that's the narrative there. Then you've got a guy who has got lots of makeup on in a more traditionally female sense. And I guess the narrative there is uh, I won't be determined by social norms in terms of how I express myself. And then you've got lots of different customers on the flight, all very different genres, punky types and all sorts of other types. And the whole idea is do your thing. But the phrase that's being sung the whole time over this advert is I am what I am. It's a masterful piece of cultural, um, I don't even know what the following word is, fill in the gap, uh, storytelling. Story, but it's another gospel because it's saying basically if you can discover who you are and express it without uh, concern for the expectations of others, you will find life to the full and liberty and freedom. 
That's the story. It's very inspiring. It's very, very uh, inspiring. Very often now we hear the phrase, don't we, on uh, TV, only you can do you, just you do you. Just do you. Only you can do you, do you. Well, how do I know who you is? Well, you, you'll know. Just search inside and you'll find and you'll know who you really are. How, what are you feeling? What are you, what are you, you know, honour your truth and your feelings and then express that. So what's, that's self-determination, self-definition. That's what that is. It's very completely different from a Christian mindset. Totally, it's oil and water. They can't coexist. Because Christian mindset says, Lord, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And I'm going to, bit, the, the bits about me that don't align with that, we're going we're to work out ways of, you know, either transformation or um, not expressing that. It's very countercultural now. Well, the beauty of this, what's really good now in terms of where we're at as, in a, as a cultural moment, is that it's, it's, it's kind of, um, there's a clarity now. I think for many, many years when we were like a nominal Christian country, you could kind of, do you know what I mean? You could kind of, you could kind of appear to be a Christian without being one, which isn't really helpful. Um, so you're around Christianity, and you, you know, but now it's becoming so stark that at least now there's a clear choice that has to be made, which is actually really really helpful um, one of the most popular songs at funerals is what I did it my way that's seen as a, that's a real, something to really really um, celebrate now of course there's grains of truth in this who wants to, who wants to spend their life literally living, living trying to be who someone else wants them to be or, or imagine if you're in an environment that's really oppressive and unjust and imposing upon you, you know, certain ways you've got to be thinking this is wrong, you know. So of, co- of course this isn't, you know, it, no one would believe it if it wasn't plausible. There's grains of truth and good things in it, but at the heart of it is a rejection of all authority except your own. And that's what we just need to see that. So it's at the heart of it is a rejection of all authority except what you determine to be right or wrong, which means actually there's no room for God in it because he only comes as Lord. He can't come as an accessory. <laughs> You see, so there's no room at all. And it doesn't deliver. You think, well, why doesn't it deliver? Because what happens is, if you go down that road, I am, I am, and all of that, what happens is, is that essentially you, you end up looking to your longings and your desires as the thing that are essentially telling you the truth, so the things which you follow and pursue. Okay? But then, and, and it promises lots of freedom, but what ends up happening is you become enslaved to your appetites. Become a slave to your longings and to your desires. You think, well, why? Why does that happen? Why does it work out that way? Because there are spiritual powers behind those longings and desires that are way more powerful than you. See, there's a spiritual worldview. If you don't take into account spiritual realities, then it doesn't make any sense. If you take into account the realities of the angelic, the demonic, principalities and powers, and all the rest of it, there are enormous spiritual powers behind these various desires and longings, which means that you become enslaved. That's what happens. And so it doesn't, it doesn't produce this life to the full. So it's not God being a meanie. It's not God looking to ruin things. It's God looking to rescue you from a life of slavery. You see, this is, this is, and this is what's so important. In, in, later in Exodus, God says, let me see your glory. Moses says to God, God says, I'll show, my good, I'll show you my goodness. God's glory is wrapped up in his goodness. He is so good. He is, he is by, and no one, this is the wonder of it, 
No one's influenced him to be this way. Right? Why? Because he is who he is by his own determination. So he's inherently good by his own internal um, self-determination of who he is. He's just good. Which means he can't be other. Which means that if he wasn't influenced by someone else to be good, and he can't be influenced by others to be bad. He is good through and through. This is wonderful. It means that he, it means that all of his promises and all of his, you know, all of his, um, all of his commands about this will go well with you. It means he's telling the truth. Why? He can't lie. Why can't he lie? Because he's truth and he's good. You see, so God's glory in this. Sometimes we can say, "Oh, he, he, he is who he is. He does what he likes. He does. He does what he likes. Totally unaccountable. Does whatever he likes. Okay, completely so answers to answers to no one. No one can hold him to account. Okay, but it's okay." Why? He's good. And he's got no darkness in him. And he's pure light. And he is love. And so, actually, it would be a crazy thing. Because someone to hold you to account has to be someone on a moral level than you, or, or, or superior to you. Or, they're ridiculous. He's God. So, in that sense, we are at our very, very safest when we are trusting him. But it involves now such a, such a clear need to reject other philosophies because it's so fierce and sharp and the lines are being drawn so clearly now you can't try to have the two together they're completely opposing philosophies at their heart so when is it appropriate for Christians to say I am what I am well the Apostle Paul says it will end with this in 1 Corinthians 15 he says this he's talking about himself as an apostle and he's saying do you know what I shouldn't really be an apostle because I persecuted the church <laughs> So he's named, he's got all the 12, and he goes, and there's me. He says, it's a bit like I was born at the wrong time. He's very honest. He used to persecute the church, used to punish the church, used to imprison Christians. He he lives with the reality of where he's come from and his past. Okay, he lives in that. Many of us do. All of us do. We live with the reality of choices made, don't we? We live with it, we think, God, why why have you had mercy on me? You know, we know, we live with it. This is normal. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, so he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But listen to this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a wonderful and important phrase for Paul to say there. He's saying, "By by God's grace, I can look in the mirror I can be, I, I, by his, by, by the gospel, by all that God has done for us in Jesus, by God coming and indwelling us by the Holy Spirit, by, by that incredible gift, I have discovered who I am. With all of my past, with my present, with my future, unknown, because all of our futures in this life are unknown. And I can look in the mirror and say, I am what I am. That's extraordinary. That's a powerful and a beautiful thing. No skeletons in the cupboard. No pretending. No, oh, who am I going to be if they Okay, make, make sure I act like that. No, none of that. Hallelujah. None of that. No living life to impress. Hallelujah. None of that. No futile comparisons with this person's life and that person's life and this person's gift and that person's looks. None of that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. And he goes and he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. He said, I worked harder than all of them. There's a power that has come to me in the grace of God that has energised me to serve the purposes of God beyond anyone else I know. 
How about that for honesty? When you know who you are by the grace of God, you can talk about what you're good at and what you're not good at. You're not constantly covering up, hiding, thinking, oh, if I say that, then they're going to do that. You just be who you are. And the whole time you're doing that, if it's by the grace of God, if it's as you're living with him at the centre, the whole time you're doing that, you are doing that as someone who is indwelt by the very presence of God. Right? So even when people don't respond to you in the way you wanted, there is extraordinary comfort and shelter in his presence that indwells you. It's magnificent. No one can take that away from you. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. And he said, I do not give to you as the world gives. This shalom, we sang about it, this peace and this joy. This shalom, this sense of well-being, this is ours in Christ. He has bought it for us at the cross. Okay? It doesn't mean you never have hard seasons. It doesn't mean you never cry. It doesn't mean you never sigh. But in all of it, you know he is who he is. And he will be who he will be. And by his grace, I am what I am. And I can live in that. That is the wonder of the Christian life, brothers and sisters. In trials, in temptations, in highs and lows, in storms on sunny days, that is the inheritance of all those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you don't know that, you can know it today. You can know it today. The Bible says if you believe in your heart this message, right, that Jesus Christ crucified for your sins and risen from the dead, crucified for those sins that have been done against you and risen from the dead, if you believe in your heart, he's alive. And if you, from that place of believing that in your heart, take on your lips these words, Jesus, you are the Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. The Bible says you will be saved. You won't need anyone to pray with you, even though that's wonderful. God himself will hear you and will come to you. So I want to say to you, if you do not know Jesus personally today, but as I've preached, or maybe even before I preach, you, you say, I, I believe this stuff. Say, Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, you are Lord today. He will hear you. The Spirit of God himself will come and indwell you. You'll know you're a new creation. You will know you're a new creation. I got saved when I was 18. My mum was a praying woman. Even she thought, how long is this going to last? Because I was such a clown. All right? That's what she thought. My friend said, my best friend said to me, he said, this time next year you'll be getting off with some girl in this pub garden when I told him. That was people's response. I was such a clown. That was 31 years ago. He is faithful. He is who is. When he starts a work, he finishes it. He is faithful. It's not, this place is not a place for nice people that don't do anything wrong. This is a place for people that need forgiveness, okay? that need fresh, new hope in Jesus, that need to know God that have given up all attempts at man-made religion to get us right with God, but simply come and receive what has been bought for us in Jesus. That's what this place is. And so if you, cut, if you say, I'm here, I'm repentant, I want to get right with God, you are absolutely welcome to be part of the church here. It's just a place of repentant sinners who have been turned into saints. That's what it is. That's what we are. Amen? And I want to just finish by just, I guess, giving a moment for those of you who do know and love the Lord, but you recognize either you just know your faith's taken a battery. My faith took a battery recently. It did. Horrible. Horrible moment. And uh, I came home, and I'm reading this book, it's Systematic Theology, a thousand pages. I'm about 700 pages in. 
It's been, it's been a couple of years. Don't, don't, I'm not amazing like that. It's been a couple of years. But I just thought, I'll just do it. The very page that I was on just got indoors. So, oh, this, is, this is rubbish. You know, those moments you think, this is, Lord, what's going on? I opened the book and it said something like this. Our faith will be assailed in many ways. I thought, oh, you know, that, it's not just me moment. You know? <laughs> but it always gets the victory. I was like, ah, that was enough. That was enough. Just a little nugget of truth. That, you know, and you think, Lord, how did you know that I would have got up to page 754? <laughs> that exact place on the page. You know, I read, this, I read this thing, I'll pick it up once this month, five times the next month. You know, they fold over the wrong page. You know. How did you, Lord, how did you know that just in this moment, exactly where I was at, the paragraph, I sit down and think, you know, I've, I don't know what to do. I'll read that because it's going to be more healthy than putting on the TV or whatever at the moment. Bang. Our faith is a sound in many ways, but it always gets the victory. Why? Because it's faith in him. And he always wins. So you just know you need your faith to be a bit strengthened. Or maybe the more salty point, you've, you've, you know, I think I might be falling into this adopting this kind of self thing. And you've seen today, it's oil and water. And it, this might be the beginning of a journey if you're really just beginning to deconstruct some stuff and think some things through. So you can get on a more surer footing around just gospel biblical thinking. Because let me assure you now, from the bottom of my heart, the two cannot travel together. Okay? You end up serving two masters. Jesus said you end up hating one and loving the other. Jesus will become very inconvenient in your life. <laughs> It'll get in the way. Or you're trying to serve self and him. So today, so I would say the faith there is trust that he genuinely knows what's best for us and has our best interests at heart. It's massive. That's huge. So let's just take a moment and just a chance to just quickly, if you know you just got to, got to get right with God. If you're, for the first time, giving your life to Jesus, just where you are, just say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. And then, Please come and speak to one of us afterwards. We can encourage you, get a Bible for you and all of that. If you're a believer, just you know what to do. Just come to God. Tell him what it is. Tell him where the, tell him where the trouble is. <laughs> tell him where the fear is. Tell him where the sin is. Just tell him where the, where the things are that you just know. It's not as it should be, Lord. Just tell him. Okay. Ask him to come. Say, Lord, just come and, come and wash me freshly. Come and heal me. Come and restore. Come and comfort. Come and forgive. Whatever's needed, ask him. Just know and be assured of his presence. I am that I am. He is here. Be assured of his presence. Whether you feel him or not, be assured of his presence. He is here. He is faithful. He can't not be faithful. He is determined in himself from all eternity to be faithful. He can't be unfaithful. And we welcome your holy presence, Lord. We welcome your holy presence. And you know the extent of the brokenness and the fragmentedness in all of our souls. And we bring ourselves before you, Lord, and just pray for continual and ongoing restoration. Healing, 
transformation. You know what we need, Lord. We open our hearts to you. We trust you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory, Lord. Help us to see straight. It's filled up for some of you who wants to just give eye salve. The Bible uses that phrase. Jesus uses that phrase. It's like this, you've got a bit skewed and you're seeing. Just pray, come on, Lord, just those moments where Jesus, you know, spits on the floor and makes mud pies and puts them on the guy's eyes. He's like, I can see. It's a bit of a messy business, but the end result was worth it. Come and help people see straight who are seeing skewed. Lord, where there's just been a, a warpedness, where people have been offended and have not forgiven and their perspective is shot as a result, come, Lord, and help them to forgive so they can be restored, so they can see straight again. These things are the real, the real stuff, the real deals. We pray, come, Lord, come and minister. Come and minister by your spirit. Touch our lives. Help us to keep growing, keep walking, keep running. For some of us that just need to be held by you today, that's just don't know where to start, I just pray, let them know the love and embrace of their Father. Let them know that, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Your arms going around them. You've got them. Even when we're faithless, he's faithful. We honour you, living God. We bless your holy name. Amen.